This is my conversation with Lydie Klotz, an American scientist and author who studies and writes about design and problem solving. He is a professor of engineering and architecture at the University of Virginia. Klotz has published in scientific journals, including Nature and Science, and in other publications such as the Washington Post, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and The Globe and Mail. He is also the author of two popular books, Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less, which discusses design and problem solving and sustainability through soccer, a work about systems thinking. I know that you have a very interesting background. You worked as a, you studied and you tried to train as a professional football player and then you went into engineering. So were they like, you know, in parallel or how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, they were definitely in parallel for the first 22 years of my life, I guess. I mean, I, I was my passion was was playing football or soccer, as we call it here in the United States. But everybody else correctly calls it football. Um, and but I, it wasn't like I went to some academy and didn't do my education. I was always in school and then I, I played uh, played soccer in college. Um, and then after college, I, I played professionally for a couple of years, but because I did my engineering education while I was in college, while I was also playing soccer, but it is, um, uh, so, so I definitely, I definitely did them in parallel, but it also meant that I didn't really uh, kind of get serious, not serious, but start thinking about how I could make an impact on the world until after, um, after I was done playing soccer. Do you feel like your background in soccer kind of helped to make you become the man that you are today? I mean, it definitely helped make me who I am today. It's a funny question because, um, you know, you can certainly look at the things like teamwork or um, I think working really hard at something. And one of the nice things about sports is that there's kind of, there's pretty fast feedback, right? Between you practice and then you can go play in a game and you see, hey, those skills that I practiced are, were immediately useful. And um, sometimes you don't get that feedback as quickly in the real world, but it, it is a good lesson to learn that like the the work uh, and that pays off. Um, so it's certainly affected those things i think you know the question is like what's the counterfactual like if i hadn't played soccer and i just said invested all of that time into uh <laughs> into learning about um behavioral science or design maybe i'd be farther along than i am now but no i wouldn't trade it for anything i mean i think it was a priceless experience and i think it is important to um especially for for young people to get you know experiences in a, a lot of different things and then um, kind of take the lessons learned uh, uh, across those different things. And then how did the journey, uh, like, you know, transitioned into engineering, architecture, and then also <laughs> even evolutionary biology, which you wouldn't expect to connect? Yeah, uh, I would, I mean, so first and foremost, it was like I needed money. Um, I was only making, I, we were talking about professional soccer, but this wasn't like Lionel Messi. I was making like $2,000 a month and, uh, mm -hmm. And I said, uh, and I could have like kept going and eventually made enough to just support myself, but it was never going to be enough to support a family. And so I said, okay, time to enter the real world. And I had my engineering background. I started to, to work in industry for a while doing construction management. And uh, that's when I started to think about how, you know, what, what needed to be done in the world, how I could make an impact, what kind of life I wanted to have. And so that's when I started to go back to academia and you know the this idea of like kind of creating knowledge and and sharing knowledge i really love the teaching and i really love the opportunity to be able to try and find new ideas and then from there i think the you know that desire to to create knowledge it kind of it doesn't I've been fortunate enough where I haven't had to like stop at disciplinary boundaries right it's like the the reason that you know the the book about about subtraction and like why we overlook subtraction. It's like I was following the idea, not the not the discipline. Um, and you know, there are engineering elements to it, there are design elements to it, there are behavioral science elements to it, there are evolutionary biology elements to it. And it's um, uh, that is how you know I kind of have ended up spanning across the different boundaries because I've followed the idea, and not the disciplines. 
So speak to me a little bit about your book. So you said subtraction. So this is a very unique concept that most people don't seem to understand until like, you know, you hit the nail. And what is it about us that we don't do, like, you know, subtract instead of add? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So the, the idea of subtraction is, you know, the, the question, I guess, is why don't we subtract to make things better? Right. And so this is um, the one of the examples that I use a lot because it's really effective and it, um, is I was um, this started where I was playing Legos with my son. He was three at the time and we had this um, I've got a bridge here. I'll show you, but you're you're I'll describe it too because your audience can't see it. But the, here's the bridge. So it was basically unlevel Lego bridge. Um, I needed to um, so one of the columns was shorter than the other column. So I went to make the bridge level by adding a column or adding a block to the shorter column. By the time I had done that, my son had removed a block from the longer column. So here we had this situation, right, uh, which is an unlevel bridge. Both my son and I wanted to make it better, and he improved it by subtracting, right? He improved it by taking a block away. I My first instinct was to improve it by adding, and... Um, and if he wasn't there, I would have overlooked subtraction. And we've since done a ton of research showing that like, hey, it's not even, we don't even think of subtraction as readily as we think of adding. We kind of use adding as a substitute for thinking in a lot of ways. And then of course, even after you think of subtracting to make something better, um, there are a lot of reasons why you might not follow through with it. Um, and so that's kind of the concept and it, it has implications obviously for for lego bridges but also for building real things in the real world everything from like civil engineering projects down to product design and also uh in in our ideas um how we how we add things how we accumulate information versus kind of rethink the information that we already have and in our our organizations and social structures right so adding meetings adding um to do's uh and we do that much more readily than we than we take away so this is uh that's the that's the basic idea of subtraction but wouldn't you think that like we evolved to like be better and more complex systems are somehow smarter because that's what we've been like told over age like you know the more complex it is the the more advanced it is like be yeah. anything so how does this play into that yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and certainly there's this isn't a uh, an either or proposition, right? I think that like one of the traps that we talk about it, I talk about in the book is that like we position these things as opposites and really they're complementary approaches to making change, right? So if adding can make something better, uh, then then so can subtraction. And yeah, I mean, you talk about the the complexity um, and we kind of think that more complexity is good in some ways, but also if you look at you know, just going to evolution. I mean, the way that nature moves forward is this, not moves forward, the way that, you know, nature evolution works is a, a blend of adaptations, which are additions, but then also the selections, right? And those are the things that get stripped away. And, and in a lot of ways, um, that kind of natural process has this built-in subtraction that keeps it keeps it pretty streamlined. Whereas the, the human, you know, the, the way we do it deliberately, oftentimes it's like we, we don't have the built-in process that gets rid of the the redundant meetings, right? Uh, we don't have the built-in process that gets rid of all the the clutter in our house, and we just kind of keep overloading ourselves. So, I mean, so yeah, I, I think the complexity point's really interesting. The other thing about complexity, right, is like what I think is cool about complexity is that you know you've got this really uh, complex, the complex part, which is the the system that's like hard to understand, but then it all comes from like some very basic principles, right? And so oftentimes to understand the, the understand these complex systems and you kind of figure out what the essence is or what the basic rules are that are governing these systems. And that's kind of an act of subtraction, right? You have to understand the whole big thing, whether it's a biological system or whether it's a, you know, a healthcare system. And then you have to get to the essence of of what actually matters. So that that requires mental subtraction. So would you say that the way we think hasn't evolved enough to be a feature, it's become a bug for us? Um, yeah, and that's what it seems like, right? It's like the, that this, this 
behavior is, you know, wired into our brain um, because it's been advantageous over time for some reason. And you could think about that in terms of like acquiring food, acquire, um, acquiring other resources that make it so that you can survive through lean times. And now it's, you know, it's there and it's our, our first instinct, even when it's not necessarily the best choice. Now, I don't know. I mean, it might still be on balance helpful, right? It might still be, okay, this is good default wiring to have for the decisions that we encounter in life. Um, the, the thing is, you know, it doesn't mean we can't think of subtraction, right? It just means mm -hmm. we're less likely to. And so all, you know, the whole point of writing the book and, you know, getting the, the word out through podcasts like this one is like, hey, we've got a, another option here, right? We've got this. And then if we're, if we're thinking about subtraction, um, we're, we're overcoming that default wiring and, you know, then we can take it from there to see wh what's the right choice for our situation. But if we don't think about it, then we're like, we're missing this very fund of uh, this very fundamental option that we have for, for making change. Uh, I don't know. See, what do you think? Do you, what, what I'm like in terms of, do you think it still generally serves us well to have this default or do you think it would be better if we, I feel like we are moving closer towards, you know, the bare bones, the basic subtraction of everything. So be it like, you know, our schedule, like you said, your emails or meetings, like unnecessary, we are overloaded. Like every brand, every company wants to saturate us with whatever they're trying to sell. Yeah. And it's become so overwhelming that soon there will come a time if you like, you know, it's very selective ads pop up, you get spam emails. It's just nonstop. And then I feel like now nobody is like, buying or like you know purchasing products or like is attracted to something based on what they're seeing now because it's just an overload be it the news be it advertising be it social media we're all scrolling click 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 it's just a lot yeah i don't know how this will evolve you being the expert how do you see this happening <laughs> i'm not the expert on that i'm not i'm predicting the future but um but i will offer but I mean, I think another interesting perspective, we talked about like kind of evolutionary perspective, biological evolution, but also just kind of cultural evolution, right? And as you know, like culture evolves in a similar way to, to biology, but it can evolve much more quickly, right? Because the adaptations are really ideas, right? And so like it's in today's day and age, an idea can spread really quickly or it can go away really quickly. Um, but it, you do, if you look at this from a cultural perspective, I mean, a lot of these subtractions that we have opportunities for now are are relatively new, right? To, to subtract a meeting, you need to have an organization, right? So when an organization is just starting, most of the things that will make it better are additions. It's only when it's kind of built up that the subtractions become a better option. And you're exactly, you know, I like the point about getting bombarded with ads and, you know, and then a you know, once you're bombarded with those things, then there is an opportunity for somebody like Patagonia to just say, like, don't buy this jacket. And it catches your attention, right? Because it's like, yeah. whoa, what, what the heck is this? Um, so I think, uh, yeah, there might be, I think there's might be like an, an opportunity there, right? Because it's, you're, you're going against the grain. And, and that's the case with anything that's been underused, right? If you think about subtraction as like being a systematically underused way to make change, for those people who, who then can use it, 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 it's a competitive advantage, right? Because you're exploiting this inefficiency in the in the market of improvements. So I would like try to pull away a little bit from social media, but like work weeks. We initially thought that everybody needed to come to the office. You had to have an office space at your desk, yeah. and now you can work from home. And still, everyone was equally productive. Now. Like in the UAE, people have half Fridays are half day uh, work days. Then, oh, really? For the yeah, whole country? Not for the whole country, but a lot of companies are adapting to that. Yeah, then yeah. And I've seen in other countries where it's like a four day work week instead of a five day work week. We are we are stripping away slowly, and still people are able to be productive. In countries like Spain, you don't work the entire day; you get off early. Uh, do you see that that is something which is very similar to subtraction, or like is it the other way? No, I think it's a, I mean, it seems like a subtraction, right? Um, I think, uh, and it's interesting because we have this, like, why not try those things? I've heard it framed as a reverse pilot, right? We, we're so, we're so 
eager to be like, okay, let's try this new thing and see how it works. Well, what if we just stop doing this thing and see how that works? And, you know, so what if we subtract the half of Fridays? And if it doesn't work, we can always add them back, but let's just see. Um, and I think uh, that's, you know, what's been interesting about this, this huge shift, you know, brought about, unfortunately, by the pandemic, but um, it just, it forced us to subtract. And then we saw, okay, here are the things that we would want to keep subtracted. And here are the things that we want to add back in as soon as possible when we can. Um, and so I think that's a, it's a really interesting, it got us past the thinking about it barrier. And then it got us into evaluating whether it was actually better or not. But yeah, I certainly think that all of those things are subtractions. And I think, you know, whether it's the right subtraction or not depends, of course, on the situation. Um, and I also think that, you know, trying more of those things, we can always add it back in. But, you know, trying some of those things is, is really positive progress, I think. How, what changes have you had in your lives that like, you know, you've seen that, okay, this worked and this didn't work? Um, be it parenting or like, you know, at home, like, domestic duties? Um, let me. Well, I'll start with the hardest. I mean, parenting is the hardest one for me. And I remember I had written the book and was like a, a year into like talking to people about the book. And I finally met like Yal Schoenbrunn, who has her, her own awesome book out now called Work, Parent, Thrive. She'd be a good guest, actually, for your podcast. But she um, <clears throat> she's a professor at Brown University and does amazing like counseling. And um, but we were talking and she was basically leading me to this realization that like I was totally adding in my parenting. Like and it's because I care about it so much. And it wasn't like I was helicopter parenting and like like buying my kids all this extra stuff it was just like always being involved right and it's like okay if my two kids are there playing nicely with each other and they're eight and three now so this doesn't happen a ton but if that does happen then lighty don't interject yourself in that situation right that's a an area you can subtract yourself from the parenting or it's like um you know, he's going over to his friend's house to play and, you know, let them play by themselves and you don't need to be supervising that. Or, you know, let them have this kind of decide what to eat themselves for dinner one night a week. It'll show them how to like get stuff out of the refrigerator and things like that. So in my parenting, I think that was one. Uh, one trick that I, one thing that I started to do is like, okay, when they start to do something new, right? Okay, now my son, wants to go to soccer practice, organize soccer practice. Well, that probably means that I don't need to like bring his dishes to the to the dishwasher for him, right? He's capable. So when you add something new, maybe think about, is there something that I have been doing in my parenting that I can take off my plate? Um, no pun intended, because the example was a plate. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so so that's one where it's it's been hard. Um, and I think that's one of the things with subtracting is like the more you care about something, sometimes the harder it is to subtract it because one thing that we haven't talked about is, you know, even after you think of it, sometimes when you take away, you don't feel like you're being as valuable, right? You don't feel like you're demonstrating competence in the same way as as when you're adding. Uh, this is something that, you know, we, okay, like as a conscious effort, we can try to see what you can take away. But then in a global space, when it comes to like the way garments are run or like the way you, you work architecture design, how is that connected to subtraction? Yeah, I think uh, it's the governments. Uh, I mean, one of the examples that's really easy is just like kind of the growth of, of laws. And I, I think I'll use the U.S. as an example, but I imagine it's the same in, in Dubai. Uh, like the U.S., the, the rate of growth, I think we have 17 times more laws than we had in 1950. Um, it's probably up to 18 times more now. And so it's like it, the rate of regulation is growing faster than the rate of, you know, the economy or anything else. And so the, um, and it's not malicious. It's just this, you know, hey, we try to improve something, we do it by adding something and nobody thinks to take something away. And so I think you can put in place processes in those cases, right, where it's like, okay, if you want to propose a new piece of legislation, please also bring 
two pieces of legislation that are already on the books that you think we can get rid of and we'll consider all three at the same time. So again, you're not like forcing it, you're just, you know, forcing, but you are kind of creating this rule that kind of helps the system stay in balance. Um, and I think that's uh, something that, you know, governments have tried. Um, and the, uh, you know, with architecture and things like that, I, I, I guess, I don't, mm, I, I, it's the exact same principle, right? I mean, you can think about how do you, how do you make things better? And, and one way is to add, of course, there's the financial incentive there, right? I mean, who's, it's hard to be the engineering firm or architecture firm who comes to a client and says, hey, <laughs> the client says, we want you to build this 50,000 square foot new building for us. And, and you say, well, actually, you don't need it. Just uh, make more efficient use of the space that you have or have you ever. <laughs> but um, I, I think uh, so there's that financial thing there, I guess, more one of the, the broad shifts you can think about is kind of focusing less on the products themselves, like the physical things and more on the services, like the value that you can provide for at the human scale, right? And so like you see some of these companies that instead of selling HVAC systems or heating and cooling systems are selling comfort, right? Mm -hmm. And then then there's all sorts of ways that you can provide that by adding the new systems and, and, and by subtracting things that are uncomfortable. So um, I, you know, it's, there are certainly economic and financial incentives that pull us towards adding in some cases, um, but there, there are also ways with this kind of selling services instead of products that you can work within that system to have subtract, complete, subtract and compete on a more level playing field. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. But like, I want, what would you say as, as a good example to like kind of prove your point? Because a lot of people are like, you know what? I don't want to take the risk because that's what everybody's doing. So this is going against the grain from what everyone is used to. Yeah. And there have been examples in the past where like things just happened in such a way that there was a subtraction and people initially didn't agree to it. And then it worked out perfectly. Yeah. Um well, first, that's hard, right? And I, I'm, you know, I talk in the book about how we, I, we, uh, we moved into a 1500 square foot house when we moved to Virginia, and we had been in a 2500 square foot house. So we downsized. And um, we had planned on renovating the house because it was a student rental. And I, you know, thinking about these ideas, we ran a design competition titled addition by subtraction. So the whole point was like, how can we renovate this house without adding any more square footage and hopefully by subtracting some square footage? And, you know, there just weren't any solutions that allowed us to do that, um, both from a feasibility standpoint. And, you know, I think adding was the right decision here, but it, it is a good illustration of some of the challenges that subtracting faces. So, you know, our family was growing, uh, we just needed more space, but also, you know, in terms of an investment standpoint, it's like this is the biggest financial investment my wife and I had ever made. And w it would have been really risky to say, OK, let's drop, uh, you know, six figures to not add any square footage to the house when houses are priced and sold and valued primarily based on square footage. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so in that case, we didn't subtract. We added a thousand square feet to the back of our house. But the um, another example, though, is uh, on a larger scale with infrastructure. I opened the book with it is the Embarcadero Freeway in San Francisco. And so this is uh, if you go to San Francisco now, the Embarcadero is the beautiful waterfront. It's like probably first on the trip advisor to do things in San Francisco. You can see the harbor seals. There's like a carnival. There are people making balloon monkeys for little kids, which my uh, Ezra, my son of Ezra availed himself of. Um, and it functions for San Francisco. I mean, like the city uses this space. And it was, it used to be between like the, basically from the 1950s to like 1990, it used to be covered by a double-decker freeway um and planners had studied this freeway and we're like you know this is just not the right use of the space here if we got rid of the freeway we could you know, do these different things and all the like kind of logical expertise and you know did the traffic calculations it totally made sense for them to to get rid of it and they put it to a 
a vote in the city and everybody's like, no, we can't get rid of this freeway, right? Um, that's not what we want. And then an earthquake hit in 1989 or yeah, I think 1989. And now the freeway was damaged and it showed the issues with having a double decker freeway in an earthquake zone. And so people, uh, so the, so the calculations changed where it's like, okay, now it makes even more sense to get rid of this and people still resisted. I mean, there was a, a great, quote from a famous columnist uh, who said that once again, there's talk of removing the Embarcadero freeway, um, an idea even worse than building it in the first place. <laughs> and, uh, but then, you know, but they, they took it down, they forced it through. And, you know, 10 years later, everybody thinks it was a good idea. So I don't know if that like gives people any hope, right. In terms of like bucking the status quo. Cause I, my example is like, okay, I ended up adding in this physical thing. And then the San Francisco example, it did, I mean, it did take time before people saw that it was better on this grand scale. Um, so maybe the hopeful thing here is I think the more you can help people see the vision, right. So one of the challenges with taking away, right. And this is not, just my behavioral science. This is like one of the most robust findings from like the kind of Kahneman Tversky line of behavioral science is that it's more, you know, we we dislike losing things more than we like gaining things. And um, so if people are focused on the thing that they're going to lose, whether it's the double decker highway or the square footage of the house, um, that's gonna, bring resistance. And the more you can direct people to kind of what the vision of the future is going to be. So if you can show people, look, this is what the waterfront is going to look like, or this is what your streamlined house is going to look like. And they start to embody that and think about it. And that becomes the the idea that they're enamored with, then they're losing that, right? Um, if they If they don't subtract. So you kind of flip that loss aversion around to work in your favor, the bet the more of a the more of a the more clear you can make this vision of a subtracted future. Um, and I'll just add one last thing here. I mean, this is like what Marie Kondo does, right? Um, both, in, you know, she forces people to hey visualize your super tidy living room, and then that's what you're you're losing, not the t-shirt that you haven't worn for five years that you're getting rid of to give yourself that super tidy living room. Um, and so I think that's a that's something we can do both for ourselves, but also to kind of get other people bought into these subtractions that might seem like they're bucking the trend. So I just want to go back to Ezra a little bit and then <laughs> also about our cognitive biases of our conditioned learning. So we, there's this whole concept of unlearning things to understand what we're what exactly should be done because we're just so used to like towing the line. This is how it's done. It's always been done and unlearning that and then going back to what, how Ezra did it. He just like saw a quicker solution. He took it not based on like, okay, let's add more, but subtract, subtract. So is it something about us that we have evolved based on culture or is it just something that's inherent about us? I mean, the, the most, the finding that it, we're, I'm most certain of in this, you know, this is the the Nature article, is that you know we're less likely. We we think of adding first, right? And that is, it seems to be hardwired, not something that's learned based on the the evidence that we have. Now, certainly, there's more that we can do there to explore it. But you know, some of the experiment, not to get too in the weeds with the experiments, but you know, we did experiments where we're distracting people with a scroll of numbers and then having them solve adding and subtracting tasks. And when people were more distracted, they were more likely to, to add, which suggests that like, okay, when you're kind of the thinking part of your brain is turned off, you're adding as a default. So it wasn't so much like, Hey, we, we, we learned this. It was more just like, this is how we do it. And we also, um, we didn't see any, differences between ages we didn't have like a huge sample of people any people of ezra's age because you can't do studies on you it's different rules to do studies on that age but um you know we did look at the ages in the studies that we 
ran and there wasn't it wasn't like 18 year olds were better at this than 60 year olds or vice versa um again more more research can be done there but uh, the evidence we have doesn't suggest that this is like something that we learned although i will say that you know we kind of just walk around in this world where additions are present right mm -hmm. you're constantly reminded about the the things that you can see the chair the box the book um and if somebody subtracted something to make your world better even something as big as that embarcadero freeway i mean i went there and i didn't know that a double decker freeway had been subtracted from that space and i'm a civil engineer right and so it's like people are enjoying this space and they don't have any uh evidence that subtracting is to think so so yeah long story short i, I don't think we can say that hey we're like just taught to add and that's why we do it i mean it's a it's a cool hypothesis that i think we could test um or should test um and and see if that kind of builds on top of the more basic bias that we found in our research um so but then you're like the other part of your question is the ideas piece which i think is super interesting and in how we like add and subtract in our ideas and you know I'll, I'll use an ezra story there so the way we do it i mean ezra's eight he believes in santa claus um a couple of years he loves legos as you can tell from the story a few years back um santa brought ezra legos and ezra opens the present and he looks at me he calls me dodo uh that's and he's like dodo like how did Santa bring me Legos? And I'm like, what do you mean? You asked for Legos. That's Santa must have just known that you asked for them. And he's like, well, I only thought Santa had like wood and stuff to build with front with his elves. And um, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Santa has that stuff. But for for Legos and things like that, he works directly with Amazon. <laughs> and, Ezra, <laughs> and Ezra was like, oh great, I'm moving on. And that's like what we, you know, it's it's a you know, it's a fun example with an eight-year-old, but it's kind of what we all do, right? When we, we've got these mental models that we've built in our head. And in his case, he's got a mental model of Santa bringing Christmas presents. He's got also has a mental model of Amazon delivering stuff to our front door. So he knows that Amazon works. And, and when you present him with new information that conflicts with his mental model. So in this case, it's like, okay, here's this plastic Lego thing. And he had this mental model of Santa Claus building stuff out of wood it was much easier for him to like take the new information and, you know, kind of adapt it to fit what was already in his head rather than like systematically evaluate the new information and be like, okay, like this Lego box, <laughs> I don't know, this suggests that maybe, you know, maybe somebody else is delivering the presents and not Santa Claus. And that's like, you know, again, it's like, it's hard to hold conflicting ideas in our head. And so, we all do this. I think, you know, how do we, how can we be more deliberate about subtracting ideas that we have been shown aren't true? Um, I think, you know, it's one of those things that, hey, you can set aside time every week or like, you know, to, to reevaluate your thoughts. I think also just paying closer attention to the evidence in the world around you, right? I mean, I know like after the George Floyd murder here, I mean, people started studying more about like kind of history in the in the country. And I think this, this notion, I mean, you know, I never thought that we like had a perfectly level playing field in the United States, but even this notion that like everybody gets a fair shot uh, was kind of stripped away the more that the more that I learned during that time, right? You just see how like generations of systematic uh, differences can make it almost impossible for a, you know, a five-year-old poor brown kid in the United States to have the same opportunities as a five-year-old wealthy white kid in the United States. So anyway, that, that's an example of where kind of my basic, where I subtracted some ideas. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you have tips for for how to do that it's a really hard one so how about cultures where it's like you know the buddhists very minimalistic they live their lives with like the bare minimums than what they need how are they different why are they different then yeah that's interesting i think the um and i, I don't know a ton about those cultures but i you know certainly 
certainly it helps in those situations, right? Because, you know, one of the things that we talk about is, is competence is playing a big role here. And so when I looked at like the evolutionary reasons for why we might not subtract, it's like, of course, there's the food acquisition and things like that. But then there's also this notion of competence, which is like just showing that you can effectively interact with the world. And the example I use in the book is bowerbirds, they build these ceremonial nests and show people that or that show the male bowerbirds build a, a nest, the female bowerbirds go and look at the nest, decide which male to mate with based on the nest, and then the female bowerbird goes and builds a nest to raise the young. So the whole point of this initial nest is just to show that the male is effectively, it can effectively interact with the world. Um, now, you know, strip away genders or anything, like males and females, humans have the same instinct, like we wanna show that we're effectively interacting with the world. Um, whether that's by, you know, kind of adding a new task to your to-do list or, you know, building a bigger house or whatever. And I think, you know, probably the Buddhist cultures work against that, right? So we have this innate desire to display competence. But if you're in a culture where it's like, oh, no, that, you know, that person who's really happy by stripping away all that's somebody that, you know, is a good member of society or that we should aspire to be like then then it becomes easier to display competence by taking away i also think that you know one challenge with subtracting is it's again hard to show competence but if you take away enough it becomes noticeable right and so it's like if you see a you know somebody who's living a buddhist life in the middle of dubai or um or charlottesville virginia they're gonna look different and you're gonna know that they're subtracting intentionally and it might be like, okay, that is a, a measure of competence, right? That person is doing something. It's not just that they're they're lazy. <laughs> um, so I think that that's, that's interesting with those cultures. This isn't, um, there's a cool quote about idea subtracting too that's attributed to Lao Tzu that's like, you know, to gain knowledge, add things every day, to gain wisdom, subtract things every day. And I think that's a, you know, we have way more opportunities to gain knowledge than during that time. Um, and we still need to remember the, the, the subtracting part of it too. So what would you say to someone who's like, you know, I don't want to miss up. I want to have, uh, you know, I want to go everywhere. I'm to try everything. And like, you know, I want to go at every event. I want everyone to be my friend. It's just like, they are just over saturating their lifestyles and that that whole formal idea yeah so how does that work in this paradigm it's interesting i just heard this framed in a really cool way that's like basically every choice to do something is also a choice to not do everything else right mm -hmm. and so i'm i'm like a total type a want to get the most out of life want to like have fun but also you know make an impact and leave you know have a leap of have a positive influence on the world like I want to make use of every minute of every day. Um, so yeah, that's how I, so that's, it's not a matter of like not doing all this stuff, but it is a matter of prioritizing. Right. And um, again, like adding is good. In a lot of cases, a lot of these activities are, are awesome things to do, but you also have to realize that if you're like kind of mindlessly doing it, every choice to add something, especially, when it comes to time, right? Because we're not getting any more of it. Um, is a choice, and every choice to add something is also a choice not to do every single thing other than that thing. Um, so, yeah. How does competition play in this whole thing? Because evolution is kind of like based on competition, the survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. And we kind of work in an environment where, you know, the best survives and the best means doing, being able to do everything. I work in a company where it's like, oh, it's a 360 service agency. We do this, 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 and this. And to beat out the, the competition in the market. So do you feel like there will be a trend and change in the way we work in terms of quality over quantity, servicing everything. And that's how we as human beings would evolve and should evolve. I don't know about should. I mean, you can certainly see some of those trends now, right? I mean, there are companies that are successful because they do everything. And there are also companies that are really successful because they just do one thing and they have stayed really close to that one thing and, and not not spread out. Um, I, you know, one of my favorite podcasts, in addition to yours is hidden brain, right? And it's like, they just, they just own that thing, right? They just 
kick ass at, at doing that kind of podcast. And, you know, I'm sure they've had opportunities to spread out and do more things, but they, you know, they just stay in that, that very narrow niche. And I think that also like, um, I'm trying to think of, of companies that focus on it, but, uh, I don't know, you know, think of, uh, well, you probably know better company. I can't believe I'm blanking on company examples because so many have, uh, um, the, the thing, so let's, let's give uh, Amazon, for example, they do what they do is deliver. Right. That's true. So they do like they deliver everything, but what they do is deliver. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's a great example, even from like one of the biggest companies in the world. So thank you. And like Twitter for all that they're, I mean, that's like a very, they're like, no, we're just going to do this thing where we like deliver these tweets and you know, everything that they add, I don't know. It's still a very like kind of narrow niche. Um, so, so, you know, back to the competition question, I think that that's a really interesting one because it might be forced on us, right? Um, it might be, you know, I can, there's certainly, you know, this isn't my research or anything new, but it's like there's more, it, more organizations die from, I think this is, a, I forget who this quote is from, but it's uh, more, it's not my original, more organizations die from indigestion than from starvation, right? So it's like organizations like just keep growing and growing and growing, and then they lose their competitive advantage. And so I think that in that case, the competition is kind of forcing subtraction on the organizations. It's like the ones that figure out how to take things away that are no longer serving them will continue to thrive and do well. And the things that get, the ones that get big and bloated will fizzle out or taper off or, or not be as successful. What can one someone do? Like, okay, let's say I wake up, there's my day and like, I'm going to follow your, uh, like, you know, method <laughs> of subtraction. How would you change? How would you fine tune someone's life so that, you know, it's a lot better and they're more productive? So, yeah, well, I'll give, I mean, one is just to like consider whatever you're doing and you're like, for your daily to do's, right? It's like, here are the things that I need to accomplish. Here are the things that I want to accomplish. Also force yourself to think of stop doings, right? It's like, okay. And it's not just something you're gonna say no to because that's, that's an example of not adding, but it's not taking anything away. It's like, what did you do last week and the week before and the week before and the week before that is no longer serving you well? And the more you can kind of pick off those things, uh, the better. And I think that also, you know, kind of builds this into your process, right? So you're saying, number one, you're, you're overcoming that not thinking about it barrier, because now you're like forced to think about subtracting as an option, but you're also helping overcome that competence barrier where it's like, okay, it's not that I'm subtracting this because I'm lazy. It's I'm subtracting this because I told myself I was going to do these stop doings. Um, and you can imagine that in a work setting as well, right? In your annual review, if you're a boss, you could ask your people to report to you like, hey, what are the things you're going to stop doing in this forthcoming year? And now all of a sudden, if they say I'm going to cancel this meeting, it's not an example of laziness. It's because they were asked to think about this and think about how they could spend their time better. So like that process, I think, is really important because we're not going to do it uh, you know, the research shows we're not going to do it automatically in our thinking. Um, and then the, I mean, specific subtractions, I think like subtracting TV, like I, I think if everybody just stopped watching TV, we'd probably be a whole lot better off. Um, and that's been a productivity tip that has really helped me. It's free, you know, talk about fear of missing out. It's freed up a ton of time to not miss out on some of the real things that are happening in the world. What about like stuff like news or paper? Because everybody goes like, oh, you've got to read the newspaper. You've got to keep up with the times. But I, I think it's, uh, yeah. it's um, for me, it's more about like, did I seek it out or did it seek me out? And if it sought me out, it's like, why the heck am I wasting my time on it? Right. It's like, so you like tap on your phone and you push the button and like Google's telling you what you should search for. And you're like, oh, interesting. I wonder if I should search for that, like so-and-so died and I don't even know who the so-and-so is. Should I click on that to understand that this person died? And it's like, probably not. But but if it's it's like, oh, uh, Neha has a cool podcast and I really like how she gets you know different guests on and that's been, really been helping my thinking um, to uh, 
diversify my thinking and one of my goals is to diversify my thinking, then I'm going to like seek out that podcast and listen to it or, you know, kind of, Hey, I want to learn more about mate as opposed to coffee as a drink. Right. And now I'm going to like, that's, what's just amazing about the world we live in is you can then find all this really credible information on this thing. But, but again, the difference there is like, you're seeking it out and it's not seeking you out. I think for me, that's the, when I find myself just kind of like paying attention to what's being placed in front of me, I'm like, you know, instead focus on what I want to find out. What are the key steps? Like, you know, okay, imagine I'm going through my life. I'm going through everything that I do on a day-to-day basis. It's like, how do you make sure that you don't eliminate the wrong things? Cause yeah. you know, then you've like missed the mark. I think it, that gets back to having a really clear vision or as clear as you can, right? It's like, what is, what's your North star? What's important to you? I mean, it's like, you know, for some people, yeah. Um, when, when I, uh, you know, family is really important to me and like having my kids get activities is really important to me and like exercise and, um, you know, helps with my work. And so then it's not, a waste of time to be like coaching kids soccer for four hours a week. Right. Um, so it's really like having that clarity of, of what's important to you. And then like in my work life, it's like, okay, I've seen firsthand how valuable it can be to spend a lot of time on one thing as opposed to like pumping out continuously a bunch of really small things. And, um, so then that gives you the clarity to be like, no, I need to like sit here at my computer for three hours today, figuring out like the first steps of something that's not going to see the light of day until five years from now. But it, it really helps to have that vision of like, okay, but five years from now, then I'm going to have something really cool to, to share with the world. So again, it goes back, I'm trying to give examples from my own life, but I think it really just goes back to what you're what your vision is and that can give you clarity on the stuff that can be subtracted that's either holding you back from getting to the vision or is is not helping you get there and i know that you said that your north star is your family but how do you see you know the subtraction that you've done now change your life let's say five years five years from today yeah i mean it's certainly my family but also i would you know think there's that part of it and also just making a positive impact on the world which those are hard things you know because i i I certainly believe that everybody should you know if we're focusing on your family is fine but i also think that those of us in privileged situations like me should also try to do something that kind of goes beyond my individual family and that's where like the, the work stuff comes in um i think five years from now i you know, I think the way that I can add value to the world is creating and and sharing knowledge and maybe subtracting knowledge, I guess, because that's mm-hmm. those are very additive things. And so I mean, continuing to pursue big ideas that span across disciplines. Um, and again, I don't think everybody in the world should do this. In fact, it would be horrible if everybody in the world did this. Nothing would ever happen. But I think that's kind of my work North Star and um, what academics should be good at uh and should be spending their time doing and uh so create you know like looking more at this intersection between behavioral science and design i'm really interested in like how we as humans make space um and kind of like showing how that's not actually the realm of architects and engineers it's really something that we're all doing every day with our individual decisions and then how we can um do better with that and then you know figuring out the best ways to to get that out to the world because you know it's i can write an academic article but i can also come talk to somebody like you and Mm -hmm. i think that the not unfortunately i think you know quite frankly the the impact is probably higher for for talking to you because it gets to people who may not read the the academic articles so continuing to think about the best ways to share knowledge but also staying true to the like okay, we're not just like um, giving self-help information that people want to hear. It's like, no, you're like accurately communicating the science and offering perspectives on how you think it might tie in to help make people's lives better. And, and then listening, right? Because I think so much of the 
the sharing knowledge piece that is, uh, you know, explaining to people what I've found through the, the, but also like hearing their feedback on what that means to them. And then it's a, it's a feedback loop. It's not like a one way sharing of knowledge. Uh where can people find your work? I know, like you said, that people you do ha write papers, but then it's not as digestible as, let's say, a podcast. Oh, my and papers are riveting. People should read my paper. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you're right. Uh, so the, I have a great Google name. So L-E-I-D-Y-K-L-O-T-Z. I mean, I really think that's probably the best way to start exploring. Google filters things pretty well. I have a website that I try to collect the most useful stuff and prioritize it. I mean, in terms of the the subtracting ideas that we've just talked about, the book is far and away the best place to kind of get more more details on that. Um, and I do try not to, I'm, I mean, like I'm on Twitter in case people talk to me, but I'm not putting out a ton of uh, any information on on Twitter. It's, it's more just you know, kind of the big things that are out there on the, um, via the book and the podcast like this one. And those of who are, who are listening, your book is easy to digest. It's, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, but it, it's very fascinating to think the way that you've like, you know, you readjusted the way we assume that, you know, we should live our lives, like hoarding everything and getting as much information. But at the end, like it just it doesn't work. That's not how we are meant to like live our lives. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. That's what it's meant to be is kind of. Uh, hopefully yeah be be interesting and uh interesting authentic and also hopefully like kind of rearrange people's mental furniture a little bit to give them a new new lens for viewing the world and what do you hope that you know you your like your legacy would be <laughs> oh man um I think it's I mean, it's really fun to just like put ideas into the world and see that so see that they can be useful. So I think, um, yeah, I think that would be a really cool, cool legacy is to have these ideas that I, I think of legacy as like things that live on after I'm gone. And if like an idea that, you know, I help, helped bring into the world lives on after I'm gone and, and is helping people after I'm gone, that's, that's pretty amazing. That would be neat. And do you feel like maybe your children, your, uh, your two children, uh, see the world differently because of the way you see it differently? <laughs> Probably, but I think they're, um, I mean, they're, they're also inundated with like other things besides my, uh, my subtracting stuff. So yeah, I, I mean, I cer certainly any kid is going to see the, is influenced by their parents. And, um, but it's also really fascinating to see how, how different they are um, and how, you know, from each other, from me, from my wife. Um, so uh, I think that's really, really positive. Um, it gives you gives you hope for the future. <laughs> well, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thanks, Neha. Thanks for the work you do. And thanks for allowing me to share these ideas through through your audience. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm.